0: Hello and welcome to the Swine Disease Reporting System. This is the report number 58, where we're gonna cover the findings from the previous month, the month of November. My name is Edison Magalhães, here at the SDRS studio.
1: Hi, my name is Giovanni Trevisan, here at the SDRS.
2: Hi, my name is Guilherme, here at SDRS as well.
1: Hello, Daniel Linhares, also with the SDRS
0: team. And today, as I mentioned, we're gonna cover the findings from the previous month, the month of November. Uh, of 2022. And today we have the pleasure to have here another Daniel, Dr. Daniel Boykin joining the the, the SGIS podcast. So Dr. Boykin is currently the director of veterinary service for Cactus Family Farms. And Dr. Boykin got his DVM from North Carolina State University and has a vast experience in swine production systems. And today he's responsible for the veterinary service of around 850,000 hogs that goes to the market annually. With operations in Iowa, Nebraska, South Carolina, and Georgia. Dr. Boykin, thanks for, for accepting our invitation to participate and welcome to the SDRS podcast.
3: Thank you for the introduction and for having me on the podcast. Uh, certainly appreciate the work that you guys are doing with identifying disease trends for our industry, and I look forward to the discussion.
1: Our pleasure to have you here, Dr. Boykin. And before we go to the discussion, Guilherme, could you provide us the highlights for PERS virus during the month of November?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, for this time, we're going to have a different format since we have an, a, a, an advisory member group here in, in our podcast. So we are going through the highlights and after that, see the Dr. Boink's comments uh, related to these highlights. So for PERS virus, we are having an increased activity for the second consecutive month for the winter to market category, for example, that we are having, but not only that, we start to have an increase in cell farm detection and in overall detection of PERS virus. Just to give an example, we start to have an increase in the week of September 5th, of the winter to market category for PERS virus, and consequently, the weeks start to increase, and cell farm, we start to have an increase in October 10th, and we still have an increase nowadays. Uh, and for this, high number of detection of the PERS virus, we also have a high number of submissions for PERS virus OR5 sequencing that are being performed in the VDLs. And just to have an idea, the top five sequences that we have detected in all those VDLs that are enrolled in, in our project, we have the L1C variant mm-hmm. 144 as the first one, the L1H 184, or the second one, L1H, 174, L1C, 132, and L1E, 132, respectively. And since September, for example, that we are having this increase in, sequ- in sequences performed, for one week, we, we have over 200 sequences that were performed that wasn't uh, a record since 2020, here that we are keeping track of the sequences at the SDRS. And also to move to the state level, uh, Nebraska and Missouri in a state level baseline having an increased number of submissions that are positive for PERS virus.
1: Lots of activity going on, mean, It seems like there is a a preceding effect that we start to see activity of PERS virus in growing Finnish site before South Farms is repeating this year again. So uh, Dr. Boykins, we see this activity in the field, more PERS virus sequencing coming through. Else there is these reports from the industry that are taking long to get the south farms that go, went through an outbreak to achieve stability. Else, these m- more numbers of purse rise or five sequencing being performed recently. So, could you share your perception in terms of perseverance of the outbreaks that we are seeing currently in the field and how the swine industry has been dealing with this uh, agent?
3: Sure. So, something that I always say is. PERS is PERS. And so um, in general, uh, there's a lot of bad variations of PERS, the different sequences that are out there. Um, not one that I really enjoy seeing come into our farms. It's a, it's a bad virus. It's very costly to our industry. It has, has been for many years. That being said, um, you know what I have attributed some of the delayed time to negative we'll say on some of the south arm breaks. I have attributed a lot to even sample type because as we have developed new, we'll call better improved sample types, processing fluids, very sensitive uh, testing, the work that some of you have done on family oral fluids, stuff like that, versus going back many years, not that many years ago, where we would just use a, a serum evaluation of a, a subpopulation of piglets. You 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 touch a lot less animals within the population. And so I think that there were some um, low prevalence detection there that was going under detected. You know, as it pertains to different types of uh, PERS viruses or or five sequencing certainly is referenced, and lineages. There definitely are new and different ones that are out there, and it seems that that's a, a cyclical nature that every few years a new one hits the industry. Certainly, at least looking at some of the diagnostics that we have done, one of the most prevalent by long margin, particularly in weaned to market production, has been the 144 lineage 1C variant. Um, you know, I think that you, you see a lot more of the ORF-5 sequencing being done because it is over the recent years is better understood or, or practitioners feel like there's a better understanding of, of ORF-5 sequencing. And it allows us to apply some nomenclature and try to say, you know, any build similarities between those that fit within that nomenclature. Uh, But also with that being said, particular cases that I would have had that have matching or five sequencing RFLP, that the clinical picture is very different. And so I don't think that assigning a specific RFLP or even within the same lineage or um, homology necessarily is an indication of violence. Um, but it certainly gives us something to to apply a name to. And so I think that's that's a lot of what you're seeing more of the sequencing or five sequencing coming through on that. Uh, you know, I think maybe there's something more to be learned on next generation sequencing. Um, I think that it still is costly and probably far less understood, or there's a, a lesser understanding amongst practitioners as to what the value is there for for the cost that it is to do that. And so, you know, as we look forward to the future, maybe we can um, begin to identify within a a further whole genome, next generation sequencing, some more of the particular virulence indicators. And, you know, that's me just speaking vaguely about, uh, you know, the potential of where we might go as we look forward. Mm-hmm. You know, this, there was a question, I think, too, uh, that, Giovanni, you, you referenced about particular um, ways of production systems dealing with some of these severe outbreaks. And, you know, one thing that, uh, to briefly answer that, that I would say that maybe production systems are considering now that has not been under consideration for, for many years now, really, outside of multiplication farms is depopulation. And uh, we are seeing where, be it that the production losses are so great and the desire to achieve quicker stability, quicker time to back to normal, time to negative uh, is that there is some interest in just moving those animals and and refilling the farm with negative to get back to a negative status quicker.
0: No, very good. Good comments. Guilherme, what were the, the, the findings from the, from the previous month related to the next page of the report?
2: Well, moving now to the respiratory pathogens that we have in our report, uh, let's start with the good news, that is mycoplasma, that we have a decrease in activity for this month. That is a kind of expected for this period of the year, but since we are having a lot of activity of the other respiratory pathogens, uh, we were expecting that mycoplasma was increased as well. But moving to influenza, we have a sharp increase in the percentage of positive submissions in all the age categories. So it's a hot topic for this month. And also, we have an increased number of confirmed tissue diagnoses for this pathogen. So it's not only PCR detection, but also like confirmed cases of influenza virus. And to support this increased activity of influenza, We also have an increased number of influenza subtyping being performed in the VDLs Mm -hmm. and an increase in the mixed detection that is a concern. And we consider a mixed detection for the SDRS report when we have three or more hemagglutinin or neuraminidase region detected in one sample. So we have an increase for 4% of all the samples uh, submitted to the VDL to almost 8% of them with mixed detection. And also, uh, not only influenza, but all other respiratory pathogens had, had a sharp increase in the confirmed tissue diagnosis. For example, Glacerella parasuis, Passerella mutosida, and also porous virus, that we are having over 50% of increase in the number of confirmed tissue diagnosis cases for
3: this pathogen.
1: Almost seems like a roller coaster that comes and goes every year about this time of the year. Right, uh, so what can we do, Dr. Boykin, with that? It's a seasonal pattern, flu, birth, some other respiratory pathogens, and also including PED. Uh, what can we do to break the cycle and uh, to prevent that uh, that spike that we see every year? Once we're in the spike, how can we mitigate that, right? How can we decrease the
3: size of that spike? Yeah, I wish I had the, the magic answer for that. Um, certainly, you know, seems like year over year that history continues to repeat itself and we see the same seasonal effect of a lot of these respiratory pathogens and as you mentioned PD as well that that we can see those trends um, you know what I can try to do is to engage both employees that work within my company but as well as contract growers have a, a big portion of our business and we rely on them to to care for a lot of our growing pigs and you know we have to keep biosecurity at front of mind particularly in this time of year but really throughout the year so that it's not just a a flavor of the month to to keep that similar initiative and response among all throughout the year but certainly we can target these months to ramp up our efforts and like to do that in a couple of different ways and we can always be better for sure but uh, we actually have ramped up and it really is has been going on back through the summer and even into the spring some more biosecurity auditing with the idea that if you're not measuring biosecurity execution then it would be tough to make progress. And so as a part of that auditing, we don't want it to be uh, something that makes the, our partners and contract growers or, or our employees feel like that we're finding fault or making it uh, an effort to just identify where they're wrong and issues as it is a training opportunity. So that they know what are the important parts uh, that pertain to biosecurity? How can we limit the disease introduction? Because really and the end of the day, they get a disease introduction. Then it's going to cost them more time, uh, more effort, and really a, a worse work environment overall. Um, you know, there was some particular mention of influenza. I can say we do a fair bit of surveillance, even in our sow farms, to try to monitor if there is an increase shedding in wean age pigs and everything going out in our grow finish. And there has been a noticeable increase in influenza this fall. And maybe there's been some change. Um, I think that it really highlights uh, though, similar to where we feel like that there's a pretty solid classification, herd classification for reproductive farms. And even beyond that, there probably is a movement towards classification of weaned market or weaned to finish farms for PERS and PED that's probably lacking on influenza. Mm -hmm. And so you can gauge and what you're gauging based off of most of your trend analysis and everything for influenza is that there have been more positive cases. There have been more cases that have been showing up on pathology and so forth, but really defining if a site is positive or negative is probably a gap as an industry. And until just similar to where I talk about the biosecurity auditing and measuring before you know how you made progress, if we don't start classifying if a farm or a site or a location is positive or negative for influenza, then we'll have a hard time moving to progress. And you know that may start on the reproductive farms where we do more routine surveillance, and, and then we can start working on wean on to market health classification for influenza, but I think that is an opportunity.
0: Very good. Guilherme, now let's move on to the next page of the report related to PCR detection of enteric coronavirus. What were the major findings from the previous month?
2: Yes, moving to the enteric coronavirus right now, we have good news that we are having a decreased detection in all of them in the Delta coronavirus and also in PED. TGE, we don't have a positive case since April of 2021 in the videos that we have in our project. Uh, But talking about PED, the good news is because the week of November 21st was the first week that we have uh, the number of positive cases we think expected for this specific virus. And also, we are having a decreased detection in Oh, I'm sorry, uh, increase in percent of positive submissions for all the age categories. And moving to the state uh, level, to see these, these baselines per state, Missouri, Kansas, and North Carolina, and Iowa, they are still with an increased percentage of positive submissions in a state specific baseline.
0: Yeah no. Dr. Boyk, in the so in the previous month we had this unexpected spike in PD detection. We reported that in the previous report of the SDRS, and still, like Guillermo just mentioned, that raised a concern about the upcoming winter, when the activity of the virus has been constantly high throughout the years. So what can we expect for the winter season, this winter se- se- season, since we dealt with several outbreaks in the first semester that are still generating some positive flows? Do we have something new regarding PDV control?
3: Yeah, so, you know, I guess I would not have a forecast for thinking that it was going to be worse as we move ahead. I I certainly like the trend of it receding a bit. Um, You know, in comparison to PERS, with PD, there's a relatively rapid return to negative status in the South Farms. And so it's not like that there's this lingering effect of many, many, many pigs going out to the growing facilities for which come with PD along. And so, you know, it's it's just like with the respiratory diseases and that back to the basics of biosecurity, if you can continue to focus on the key aspects of principles of biosecurity that are effective against these other diseases. We can certainly do the same thing with PED. Um, You know, a couple of things that are probably, um, have been proven out as key disease spreading agents for PED would be transportation live haul and the, the idea that it is spread in feed, in finished feed. And so, you know, I think that it's it makes sense with the information that is there to add some emphasis on transportation biosecurity if there's a concern with PD, Um That would come in the effect of validating quality of wash, auditing the quality of the wash coming out, and certainly uh, the, the technology of thermo-assisted drying or a variation of that, whether it be you know, forced heat or just the time and temperature of downtime in a good location. But, you know, other than that, you know, consideration of adding feed mitigants uh, certainly can become a, a hard number to balance out for growing pigs because it is a, an additional cost that we wouldn't have accounted for maybe. And with not knowing if everything else is in good standing for biosecurity, then it's hard to to bite the bullet and and include that in the feed. But certainly considerations would be ramping up transportation, biosecurity and consideration of adding a feed mitigate.
0: And I liked your comment on the previous uh, discussion that we had related to more biosecurity auditing as well, right? Like <laughs> this time of the year, and especially in contractor companies. So this would involve what you're just mentioning. Very good. Now let's move on to the next page, which is the last page of our, the SDRS report. Here we cover the tissue findings from the ISU VDL related to disease diagnosis from tissue. Guilherme, what were the major findings from the previous month? Uh,
2: moving to the confirmed tissue diagnosis page, as, as some mentioned, um, we have an increased number of uh, submissions for uh, several pathogens. And some of the systems, we have an increased number of sub for example, muscul- musculoskeletal, systemic and nervous diagnosis that we had, mm-hmm. and some of the patches contributed to this increased number in the systems. Uh, mm-hmm. Examples are the mycoplasma higher high the actinobacillus suis, and also the streptococ- streptococcus suis that, in me, that made this increase in all these systems. And moving to the next question to Dr. Boynke is going to be the main point of the streptococcus suis, because we have consecutively weeks that we have increased number of confirmed tissue diagnosis for these pathogens. That is kind of expected for this period of the year, but comparing to 2021, we have a high number of submissions for this specific pathogen. So is anything happening particularly that has influenced this increased number of confirmed tissue diagnosis for streptococcus suis, Dr. Boynke?
3: Well, I can give you my perspective, but um, I guess, you know, I, w- I would see to a certain degree some of these bacterial pneumonia, bacterial pathogens that are contributing to musculoskeletal systemic disease, strep suis would certainly be top of list, but know, a lot of times I do see those as being secondary bacterial infections that come along with some of these seasonal viral pneumonia, viral respiratory challenges, PERS, influenza. And so, you know, I, I do think that the, the routine increase in submissions uh, during this time of year when there are more sick pigs, that you would be likely to identify some of these secondary bacterial pathogens. Uh, and so, you know, all that being said, I can say that there have been instances where I would have diagnosed Streptococcus suis as a primary pathogen. You know, you'd have some acute mortality, or certainly the neurologic cases, or the arthritic joints that that many of us would be familiar with when diagnosing strep in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could say that with streptococcus, that there have been some changes, similar to the earlier question about changes in PERS virus and are there more virulence agents there with PERS? Well, I know that there are people that are working on identifying what are the the virulence genes for Strep suis and Uh, I think that we're continuing to learn more and more about that particular bacteria along with some of the others that were mentioned in this segment. But certainly the issue that comes with Strep is that right now the the defense mechanism, I guess, that we have from a preventative standpoint uh, with vaccination is with autogenous vaccine. And we have some good autogenous vaccine suppliers that we work well with, but the truth of the matter is that it takes time to develop an autogenous vaccine. It takes time to identify the particular isolate that you want to include in an autogenous vaccine. And there may be a need for identifying what are some of those key virulence factors, some of those virulence genes as we continue to learn more and try to look to some of our partners on the pharmaceutical world on. Generating a commercial vaccine that can be used against some of these pathogens, like streptococcus or others, and you know that that would certainly be a, a, something that could benefit us uh, out in the field.
0: Very good. Thanks for your comment. So that was it for today, guys. The, for this SDRS edition. Uh, thanks, Dr. Botkin, for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have this discussion with you, and I hope to we hope to see you again here soon. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank
3: you.